I still get goosebumps watching that. Growing up, this is still just the all-time epic, awesome movie of the last century. It's just so good. Even with all the epic movies that have come out today with the Marvel and the Pixar and all that kind of stuff, the Ten Commandments is an attachment to my memories of seeing this movie. And to this day, whenever I'm reading in the Bible and, and whenever Moses speaks, it's Charlton Heston. It's still his voice, you know, he's talking. And it, and it gets really confusing too because there's also the, uh, uh, the Planet of the Apes. So it's kind of like his Moses in Planet of the Apes. It all gets mixed up, but it's still that. And Yul Brynner too. The Pharaoh, Pharaoh is Yul Brynner whenever he's speaking. Cheesy cartoon fire animation and all. It's, it's, still, it's still the best. And the movie was great, but of course the story is, is even greater because it's the story not just of God freeing Israel from slavery, but he's also freeing his people into something. He's freeing them from slavery, but into this relationship with him. He's freeing them into this personal adoption. He's adopting people as his very own, which is just mind-blowing, and teaching them how, after 400 years of slavery, he's teaching them how to be human beings again, taking care of them, uh, teaching them, and, and as a sign of this special status that these people have with him, he gives them the commandments. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the Torah. He gives them the law. And this is the pinnacle of the Jewish religion, right? This is, this is the, the ultimate. This is when God reveals himself uh, through the Old Covenant law. But then skip ahead 1,300 years later or so, and a man, an apostle by the name of Paul, comes along and he helps us understand that the new covenant that Jesus brings uh, actually reveals that the old covenant has a shelf life. The old covenant has a shelf life. It was intended for a certain time, but it has a due date on that that old covenant, right? Anybody ever go into your fridge and you reach for something and it's got that little date on there? right? And so has anybody ever looked for, you, you pull out some milk and it's a little, you know, it's a little past and you give it a smell. Everybody does. You do the smell test. If it knocks you over, you probably don't drink it, right? One time, uh, sour cream, If because I remember thinking, well, sour cream, it's already sour, so I don't understand what the due date's on there, right? Does it go good? Does it stay sour? Does it get more sour? And, uh, and just a little tip, open it up, and if it's got that fuzzy on top, that layer of fuzzy, um, as I learned as a single college guy in my own apartment years and years ago, don't just scrape the fuzzy off and go what's underneath. No, no, you will become such good friends with the toilet for the rest of the day, just hugging it. Um, no, right, you just, you just go ahead and throw that away and get you some new sour cream. Um, it really does get more sour, apparently. Uh, so anyway, so Paul reveals to us that this old covenant, it has a, a due date. Uh, and if you keep holding on to the law past its due date, you actually end up going back into slavery. And the story reverses itself. And it's why we have the writer of Hebrews can say this. In the New, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says that God has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. We saw that a couple weeks ago. But you know what? It's, it's hard for religious people to, uh, let, to the, for us to let go of, of the old covenant. It's hard for us to grab a hold of the radical freedom of the new covenant. And the reason is because we really do uh, like the law. We think we don't. We think, oh, no, we want freedom. We like the law. 
It keeps things neat and tidy. Uh, it forces people to behave in the way that we want them to. Um, it forces people to, to uh, know exactly what to do. It doesn't leave much up to matters of, of heart or conscience. It has a very clear uh, reward and punishment system in the Old Covenant. You're blessed if you do this. You're cursed if you do this, right? And I, I come across a lot of Christians sometimes, and I'm just like, bless your heart. You would have made a great Israelite, right? You just, you, you know, if you could just find a time machine, man, it would be like perfect for you. But as it turns out, we lose something if we cling to that law if we cling to that law, as, as neat and orderly as it is, and as, as sort of wonderful and powerful and intimate as some of those works were, and God using his power to, to part the waters and to light the way in the, in the sky for the Israelites, and he uses his finger to write the law on stone tablets. The new covenant says, oh, no, no, no. There is something even more intimate and more powerful that has happened now. Not, not God carving his law into stone, but breathing his spirit into flesh, right? Into the, the womb of Mary. That's the, 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 the New Testament starts with this story of God breathing his spirit into flesh and blood. And his word, his will comes for us. And it's not as revealed as law. It's not stone. It's not on page and print. His word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. And then at Pentecost, we see this in the book of Acts. We see his spirit just breathes into us. He breathes his will, his word, his power into his people, into the church. This is a radical, a radical new thing. And we take it for granted because we're raised in the church. But this idea of going from the, the old law chiseled on stone to his spirit breathed into us. And so now everybody who trusts, into the, trusts in Jesus, the word isn't bound by, by pages, but it's alive. It's infleshed inside God's people. And so today we, we, we get to pass on this infleshed covenant uh, to one another, his teachings, and we mentor each other in community. Um, and now we still need the book. We still look at the book. We still go to the Bible right, to help us stay on course, to help us keep our eyes fixed back on Jesus. It's the record we have of Jesus, right? But ultimately, the new covenant is not just another written covenant in the same way the Old Testament was. It's not just, here's 23 more books of, of a new covenant. Rather, it's, it's a living covenant enfleshed in people. And, and this is why the Apostle Paul can say this in, in 2 Corinthians. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. He says, and and you show that you are a letter of Christ. He's talking to the church. You're a letter of Christ prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Tablets of, of human hearts is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. This idea of the, this new covenant, how it's written, how it's written. Of course, I love, there's, there's, you know, there's another, there's a lot of different uh, thoughts of why was there just 10 commandments. There's this one, this other classic example of, let's see this. Hear me. Oh, hear me. Oh, pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15. Wait. 10, 10 commandments for all to obey. 
You never know. We might, have, we might have had a few more back then. I don't know. So we've been talking in this series, and, and we're finishing it up today. We're finishing up our before and after series today uh, with what it means to be these living pages of God's Word to the world. Living pages of God's Word. And this morning, we got our kids with us in here, which is, is really fitting, because we're going to talk about what it means to be once spiritual younglings uh, and, and who are now invited by God to kind of grow up into a new person, a new kind of person. Let me ask you a question. Are all of our kids in here, raise your hand if you have a bedtime. Who's got a bedtime? Every, like, we got some over, over here. Yes, sir, you, you're, you're a little old for that, but yes. Yes, okay, bedtimes. Man, bedtimes. They are the worst, aren't they? What, what, what's your bedtime? Yell out what time is your bedtime. Eight o'clock? How, how much? What time? Nine o'clock. Oh, well done. All right. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Yeah. Do any, hey, kids, any of y'all think like it's kind of not fair that like you have a bedtime and mom or dad doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, you can talk in here. Man, like the grown-ups don't have a bedtime, right? So we're, we're going to talk about this. What, what is it like to, to go from, from, from the bedtime, which is almost kind of like, we're going to see sort of a version of the old covenant here. It's like God giving people a bedtime. We're going to start. Let's open up your Bibles with me. Galatians chapter 3. That's where uh, we're going to be today. Um, Galatians chapter 3. Now in this, this passage we're going to be reading, the Apostle Paul has been fighting head on. There's this teaching going around. See, the Apostle Paul, he's awesome. He's been going around all over the Roman Empire, getting people saved. He goes into a town, tells everybody about Jesus, even plants a church, and then he takes off for the next place. But right behind him, are folks that come behind him. And in some places they're called the Judaizers. Uh, I, some, some people call them the religionists. I like that term. Um, but they come behind him. And what they tell the, those new Christians, they tell them something a little different. They say, after you get saved, you should actually go back and follow all of the Torah, the law, the Old Testament covenant, that, all those rules in the law, Old Testament. And this idea of these guys was that the law was actually there. I mean, they said, it's great that you get saved and, you know, you believe in Jesus, but what you really need to do is if you want to go deeper in the things of God, you need to follow the Torah, the law, Levitical law. If you want to go deeper, right? I hear a lot of people say, a lot of Christians love to say that, like, I want to go deeper. I just want to go deeper, right, in the things of God. Sometimes they complain to me, like, Scott, why don't we go deeper, right? You just keep talking about Jesus. Let's go deeper, right? And I'm like, well, are you acting like Jesus every day? Are you like, you know, winning the world for Christ? Are you discipling people? Are you doing justice, loving mercy, you know, walking humbly before your God? You know, are you, are you reaching out to the poor, the widow, the immigrant? Are you doing all these things? Well, well let's do that before we, you know, worry about going deeper. What happens if we, if, if we don't know how to swim and we just jump into the deep end? Whew. We sink like a stone, right? So, right? So, 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 so let's learn how to swim. Let's learn how to swim like Jesus. That's what we want to do here. So these guys were coming behind Paul and they were going, well, see, new Christians, you guys, uh, believing in Jesus is great, but then you should really dig into the old covenant law and keep those old laws and rules and routines if you really want to 
mature. Because the old covenant, for them, the old covenant was like graduate school for gospel people, right? That was what old covenant was. And so the apostle Paul hears about these religionists coming behind him and discipling people in these, this message. And so Paul writes the whole book of Galatians. It's just so cool. It's so beautiful. Galatians is such a great book. I encourage you this week in your own personal devotional time, or if you're with a family or you're by yourself, whatever it is, read through the book of Galatians. It's really short. It's about six chapters, Um, but it's such a beautiful letter, and he's really, uh, it's just mind-blowing. He's writing to them to say it's just the exact opposite. The, the, The old covenant isn't graduate school for gospel people. He says it's not graduate school. It's going backwards. It's actually like going back to kindergarten. He says, if you want your PhD in spiritual maturity, you don't go to kindergarten. We have outgrown this into something new. And so one of the questions that Paul uh, brilliantly uh, attempts to answer is in, in verse 19, he says, it says, so why did God make the law in the first place? You ever wonder that? Like, why is there the law in the first place? Why not just jump straight from like Adam and Eve to Jesus? Um, why, why have this season of the law? Why not jump straight to grace? And he tells us, first of all, he says it it was added, he said the law was added because of transgressions, transgressions. That word means our sins. When we do something wrong, it's a transgression because of our sins. And so because of our sinfulness, God gave the law to kind of contain our wickedness to some extent. So, So we just didn't completely destroy ourselves. Um, He gave the law to hold us back with a certain measure. So it's just like if you have a, parents, if you have a, have a strong-willed little kid, uh, you know what that is. That, that, that child is going to need a little bit extra layer of discipline in their life. If you've got a bunch of kids, you probably got the one who totally is, like, amazing. It's, you know, she takes care of herself. She, like, makes her own lunch. You know, she, she dresses herself. She puts herself to bed. She checks her own temperature if she doesn't feel good. She knows that child. But then the rest of your kids are probably not that way, right? They need that extra. They, they're going to need very clear rules. They need regulations. They need expectations, clear rewards, clear punishment, if they're very strong-willed. And in Old Covenant language, the language they would, it would use for, for these kind of people was hard-hearted, stiff-necked. Um, the, you know that kid that kind of like just tries to buck the system. You tell them this, and they're going to like see how far you really mean it. How far can they go? right? Let's negotiate that child. Yeah, we know that child. Now, Paul would later say that the law doesn't cure the problem. It didn't, it, it didn't cure it, but it does contain it. So, for instance, how many of you heard of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth? Yeah, we've heard that phrase, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So, in the old covenant law, that wasn't written to encourage violence. Like if someone punches your tooth out, you better punch them back. You know, no, it was actually meant to contain violence uh, in a world where uh, it was kind of like, you shove me, I'll wipe out your family. You know, like you do this to me and I'm just going to destroy you, right? That's kind of the way it was. These cultures are revenge-based cultures. Anthropologists tell us it's a honor-based or shame, honor-shame-based cultures. If you did one thing or disrespected or dishonored me or my family, the, the response just naturally was to come back and do a hundred times more to you and the people you care about. So the law comes in and says, whoa, 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 no, 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 eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So it had a limiting role, just like sometimes, you know, it takes a grown-up in the room to kind of uh, help immature folks from escalating a conflict to some dangerous decree. And some grown-ups need a grown-up in the room, am I right? Um, I won't go there. And then, well, let's look at the end of uh, chapter, or verse uh, 21. 
He says, yeah, he says, listen, if the law could have helped you, if it could have been a cure, you would have been cured by now. If it would have cured you, it would have been, you could have given your life it would have given you life if it, if it could have. And, and then look at verse 23. He says this. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law. Now that's interesting. Prison language. This is like prison language right here, right? Not just that we were in bondage to sin, but actually the law itself was keeping us under guard. And then he says this, and this is kind of the big, ha! Oh, moment we want to, big point we want to make today. He says, therefore, this is verse 24, therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came. Our disciplinarian. Um, some of your translations might say something different. I don't know if anybody has their Bible open. Does your Bible say a different word there? Just yell it out. Schoolmaster? Schoolmaster? Tutor. Tutor? That's a good one. Anything else? Guardian? Guardian? Yes, yes. These are all translations of this really interesting word here. Here's a go. Fun with Greek. Woo, Scott, <laughs> calm down. It's this word, it's this Greek word, paedagogos. And paedagogos, the best translation for it is a nanny. Here's what a paedagogos in, in that Greco-Roman world back then, uh, there, would, there would be a servant hired or a professional hired by the family to take care of the children. And this wouldn't be the person that like teaches them math and science and kind of stuff. But while the parents were busy, this was a special person, not exactly like a school teacher, more like a nanny whose job it was to train young kids in morals and behavior. And especially like the uh, customs of the day, right? So you say, yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. And, you know, shake with your right hand and don't do that with your left hand. That kind of stuff. The Pythagogos was in charge of moral upbringing. And they would guard them. They would keep the kids safe. Um, they would go make sure they got to school on time, that sort of thing. Lead them in their lessons on good behavior, proper customs. So the kids were never uh, unsupervised. Because they're little kids, Right? They're little kids. The pedagogos, this nanny, were the ones keeping the kids in line. Um, and Paul compares these nannies to like guards in prison, right? Imprisoned by the nanny. And so these guys must have been pretty strict in their day. Um, and Paul says, hey, the old covenant has been like this guardian, has been guarding humanity like this jailer nanny. But now it's time to be free. It's time to be free. If you're here today and you have been oppressed by religious heavy-handedness. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to set you free. He is here not to heap more religion on you, but to set you free. And, and if you have just been like wooed into something, uh, someone else doing all the thinking for you, some of us enjoy that. We, you know, that's kind of the, what that, the lure of the law is. Someone else doing all the thinking for you, just telling you the rules. God says it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up to a beautiful new way of living called the new covenant. It's time to become adults, right? Now, some of us, we are still, I think, addicted to uh, the gospel uh, according to, to Mary Poppins, right? The gospel according to Mary Poppins. And, and I love Mary Poppins. She's a sweetheart. Um, she had a magic bag that went on forever, Right? But she was sent for a time, a time and place, right, uh, for, a, for a season. And if you become a mature adult and you still want, you know, Mary Poppins to tie your shoelaces and spoon out your medicine and help you go potty, well, you might need therapy, right, if, if you're a grown-up. 
You're trying to cling to a, a childhood in a way that just becomes inappropriate after a while. And it's holding you back from the fullness of life. And the law is like this, this Mary Poppins type nanny, but now it's time to move forward. Now it's time to be free grown-ups. So he says in verse 25, but now, but now, here's our first big but. We've been looking at these, these scriptures, these passages that, that show this before and after difference in the Bible. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, right? We're set free from the prison. Uh, we no longer need our nanny making every decision for us and, make, and being that strict rule master. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So this is liberating. This is liberating for us, uh, for all of us, that you are, are all now being brought into this beautiful place of of the rights and privileges and maturity and decision-making like a free adult. And whether we're kids or we're older, uh, we're older we, we can honor your, we honor your parents, right, by how you go and live this beautiful adult life. And so now we judge our actions not based on law, but on love. We have a love-based ethic, and that's what Jesus teaches us. And this chapter continues. It's a beautiful chapter. We're going to skip down just for the sake of time to a couple of verses, just, just a little bit later in chapter 4, where he makes sure we're getting this in very plain language. He says this, my point is this, heirs, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves. Though they are the owners of the property, right? Even if the whole estate, the kingdom, whatever it is, is part of your birthright. Maybe your dad's the king or the, your mom's the queen or something like that. If you're under age, you remain under guardians and trustees. You're still under the authority of the paedagogos, the nanny, until the date set by the father. And so he's saying it doesn't matter how rich you are or how, you know, how important your parent is. It could all, everything could technically belong to you until, until you turned 20. That was traditionally back then when the inheritance would be given to you unless you asked for it early. Until then, you can't live out your freedom, your birthright. You're no better than a servant. And he says, but now we are called to grow up. We're called to be mature children that God has called us to be. So he says in verse 3, so with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But, all right, here's the other big but of the passage. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. There's a picture of God's divinity. He sent his son, born of a woman. There's his humanity. It's divinity and humanity in the same scripture. Born of a woman, born under the law. Notice that, born under the law. So Jesus is placed, when he comes, he's placed within the religious system to explode it from the inside out. He doesn't just come and conquer it from the outside. He comes into the system, blows it up from the inside out. And here is his mission right here, this beautiful verse 5. In order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children, full rights and privileges of the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And because you're children, God has sent the spirit of his son. There's that spirit just being blown into our hearts to remind you of this beautiful freedom that you have, that you get to, this beautiful freedom that you get to call God, not just master, but daddy. He says, crying, Abba, Father, which is this beautiful word for daddy, daddy God. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Praise God. 
You're released from the nanny state, right? When we come from old covenant into the new covenant, released from this thing, you're adopted into a face-to-face relationship with the Father. We don't have to go through the paid professional holy man. We don't have to go through the nanny. We get to relate to the Father himself. And what we're discovering is that this isn't just freedom from sin. This is freedom from religion, right? It's freedom from the law's obsession with the role of, of rules and rituals into this life led by the Spirit. It's led by the Spirit and led by the example of Christ. So those are the two things that guide us as a church. We're led by the Spirit and led by His example. It's like adulting for, for grown-ups, right? For, for Jesus people. So how can we apply all this? How can we apply this? I want to mention a few practical examples. Just to, I'm going to give you a few quick examples to see how this gets lift, lived out. How we see this lived out scripturally. You can see the list there on your screen. Murder versus hatred. Here's, here's an easy one here. Jesus says, listen, the law says don't murder. Great. That was, that's fantastic that we needed to be told that apparently. But Jesus says, I'm just telling you, don't even hate people right? Don't hate people. Don't disrespect people. Don't call people names because it's like you're killing them in your heart in the new covenant here. And so when you learn to honor and love and cherish and you value other people in your heart, well, guess what? You're also not going to murder them, right? And in fact, when Jesus goes on, he takes the training wheels completely off and he says, you can even go further than just don't hate. He says, Don't just avoid hating your enemy, love your enemy. Love your enemy. This is radical difference between the old covenant and new covenant, right? Actually love them. It's radical enemy love. And Christians, we, you know, those of us who who are still having trouble with that part, let's get it, let's get it together. Let's work on that. Let's let the Holy Spirit continue to help us not just don't kill people, not just not even to hate them, but to love our enemy, right? Uh, adultery versus lust. He says, yeah, for sure, don't commit adultery. That's what the Ten Commandments say to do. But that's, even that's aiming way too low. He says, don't even use other people in your imaginations and that fantasy life, whatever it is. Even if you're not physically participating in something like that, that's this, just imagining things is creating an evil inside us. It, it disrespects, it dishonors. It really goes back to love, doesn't it? It disrespects and dishonors other people. And so instead, we focus on honoring people from the inside out. And when we do that, yeah, we're not going to commit adultery either, right? Oaths. This is that technical legality where, where I swear by this, or I promise this, I swear by that. I, I, I promise, but I had my fingers crossed behind me, right? Um, he says, listen, no, just tell the truth, just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Just use plain language. That's the, the way that new covenant believers, brothers and sisters, talk to each other. And, you know, in the world of business and law, and you know if ever you've had to scroll down for three minutes to the bottom of the page to sign something, right? In, in that world, there's full, it's full of loopholes. And sometimes the game is looking for the loopholes, right? It's looking for the loophole. But, you know, within a family, you don't sign contracts, you don't look for the loophole. You don't do that in a family situation. We, don't, we shouldn't have to look for the fine print in the way that we deal with each other. And so we don't need to manipulate with our words. We just want to be really plain and straightforward. It's the way of Christ, and it's a beautiful way to live. It's a beautiful way. Uh, tithing. This is another interesting one. Some were asked often, are, you know, are you a tithing church? Do you teach tithing? And uh, I do believe in tithing. 
But here's the interesting thing. Tithing is Old Covenant. It's in, the, it's in the Old Testament. And Jesus is clear that we're not under the law. And yet, even under the, that, under the New Covenant, there are elements of the tithe that we would not only celebrate, we would say, let's go further, right? Let's not just kill people. Let's love them, right? So here the same way, let's go further than the tithe. Because, you know, at its very origins, what we read in Scripture is that tithing was kind of the original spontaneous expression of worship and gratitude. That's really what tithing was. And in fact, tithing was practiced in the Bible even before there was a law. Uh, tithing was practiced. God incorporates that tithing into the Torah, into the law, and it becomes law. But it also predates it. But it's interesting, when Jesus does comment on someone tithing, the, the couple times he does, he doesn't legislate it, but he does encourage it. Um, in both Matthew and Luke, there's a place where he says, you tithe, which is great. He said, that's great, I celebrate that, but you should have gone way beyond a tithe to think about matters of justice and compassion and mercy, the weightier matters of the law. And then when we go on, we get onto the writings of Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul never teaches the legality of tithing. He doesn't take the new covenant backwards into the old covenant. But why does he not? Why doesn't he talk about tithing? Well, because in that first century church, they were constantly giving way more than a tithe. If you look at how they lived, they would be going backwards to grade school to tithe. If you went back to the new, that first century New Testament church said, here's the rule, guys. You got to give 10% of your income. They would be like, just 10. We've been giving like half of everything we own, right? That was like the spirit of generosity in that early church. And so it, if someone were to ask me, does your church uh, teach tithing? I would say that tithing is, is a healthy practice. But in a lot of ways, tithing is kind of like the training wheels. It really is. It, it's, a, it's a great discipline of gratitude. Um, it's a way to honor God while supporting the needs of the church, the family, the blessing our world, blessing our community. Um, but ultimately, what tithing really is, is a baby step into this radical, joyful kingdom generosity. And so we would say our ultimate, what we really want, what we really desire is to go way beyond just giving a tenth of ourself, giving a tenth of our, our time and our money. We want to give God all of ourselves, right? In whatever way we can be a blessing, because he blesses us to be a blessing. Well, all of this is the pattern that we see throughout the New, New Testament church. And I do believe this. I believe this, guys. If, if you'll put your trust in God, in all of these areas that we see on the screen right there, even in just this list, if you will put your trust in God enough to step out and have enough courage to say, to say, God, I commit to forgive this person. To turn my back on hatred and respond in love to them. And, and God, I surrender my imagination to you. My thought life. To look upon others not in lust, but in honor and respect. And to say, God, I want to be a person of truth. I want to be a person of honesty clarity. I don't want to be someone who's always kind of trying to manipulate the situation or looking for the loophole in what they said or I said. I just want to be transparent, authentic, trustworthy. Help me to be that, to be that open person in front of people. And God, I will trust you enough to trust you with my finances, to put your kingdom first in my priorities. And I believe that you will take care of me 
You'll be my source. You'll bless me even as I commit to be an ever greater and greater blessing to other people around. Amen? Amen. Just trust in God enough to actually begin to apply these kingdom principles in your life. Trust in him enough. And it's not as a slave to the law, not as a, you know, a Padawan to the pedagogos. But now we want to trust him as an heir to his grace, an ambassador of the kingdom. We approach God and we approach our fellow man on a whole different level now. And if you do this, if you will trust him in these areas, I promise you will see your spiritual life flourish as you let him grow you up out of that suffocating world of rules and regulations and obligations into a more mature relationship with God and with the community of believers where love, not law, is our guide. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, if you will. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the example of Christ. We thank you so much for the breath of your spirit within us, Lord God, freeing us from the tyranny of the law, Lord God, welcoming us into that freedom, Lord God, of unconditional love, that honor and respect for others, Lord God, joyful generosity. Give us a heart, Lord God, filled with gratitude. I ask, Lord God, that this week that we would have ears and hearts that are open to the leading of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Well, stand to your feet with me. Guys, uh, as our prayer partners are coming down front, if you need prayer for anything at all, uh, we encourage you to come down and get prayer for whatever it is going on in your life. We would love to pray with you. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time today, these guys coming up front would love to lead you in that, that step in your walk of faith. Uh, if, if you'd like to send us your prayer request, there's a lot of different ways you see on your screen there. You can send us that prayer request and we would love uh, to be praying with you. Uh, whatever is going on in your life, in, hallelujah. And so, amen. My friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance on you in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace, everybody. Kids, you did great today. Let's give the kids a great hand. All right. Y'all are beautiful. Bye-bye.